From executive producer Isaac Saul, this is Tangle. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Tangle Podcast, the place where you get views from across the political spectrum, some independent thinking without all that hysterical nonsense you find everywhere else. I'm your host, Isaac Saul, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking about IRS funding, a provision in the Inflation Reduction Act that will increase funding for the IRS, what it means, some arguments for and against it, and of course, what I think. A quick heads up before we jump into our main topic. In tomorrow's subscribers-only post, I'm going to be answering one of the most common questions I get in Tangle, which is which party is more extreme? There has been some interesting writing about this topic recently, which I'd like to analyze, and given how many readers have written in about this over the years and asked me this question, I think it'll be a pretty interesting topic to dive into. A quick reminder, if you are not yet a subscriber, That is the only way to get Friday posts right now. They do not get published on the podcast. It is just a newsletter at the moment. uh, And you can go to readtangle.com slash membership to subscribe and receive tomorrow's post. All right. So with that out of the way, we'll jump in with our quick hits. First up, during a deposition with New York State Attorney General Letitia James, former President Donald Trump invoked the Fifth Amendment and declined to answer questions. James is investigating the Trump Organization for financial fraud. Number two, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was also a target in a plot by Iranian operatives to murder former Trump advisor John Bolton. That's according to the Justice Department. Number three, President Biden signed the PACT Act into law, expanding veterans' health care benefits. Number four, the average price of a gallon of gasoline fell below $4 for the first time in four months. Number five, Ukraine said nine Russian warplanes were destroyed in blasts at an airfield in Crimea, but did not take credit for the attack. Russia said the blasts were not caused by an attack and that no aircraft were destroyed, an account that was undermined by satellite imagery. What's your rationale for saying no to this bill? Yeah, it's pretty easy. Number one, a, a bill named the Inflation Reduction Act that does not reduce inflation. When you're going to spend $80 billion of the money uh, raised for the IRS, which will make the IRS bigger than four major departments in the government, that's probably bad news for the average American, according to the Congressional Budget Office. About $80 billion is going to the IRS for increased enforcement, operational improvements, customer service, and modernizing the agency's antiquated computer systems. A lot more small guys and a lot more agents. If a former president can be bombarded at every turn by the FBI and IRS, what hope is there for the rest of us? On Sunday, Democrats passed their climate, health care, and tax package. Part of that package includes $80 billion in funding for the Internal Revenue Service over 10 years, which would almost double the agency's current budget. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office estimated that increased funding would bring in over $200 billion of new revenue. The idea is that by better funding the IRS, the organization could add staff, improve technology, and ramp up enforcement on tax evaders 
bringing in more revenue. Over the long term, the funding would pay for itself and eventually reduce the deficit, which is the year-over-year debt accrued by the government. The funding is divided into about $45.6 billion of discretionary appropriations, which will be used for enforcement activities, with the remaining money designated as mandatory funding used for operational support, modernizing the IRS, and taxpayer services. Currently, the IRS audit rate is at a decade-long low. The agency has about 80,000 workers, but has lost 50,000 employees over the past five years due to attrition. Budget cuts, largely driven by Republicans, have resulted in a 30% drop in enforcement staff since 2010, while the filing population keeps growing. But the decision to beef up funding has been very controversial. Republican lawmakers have warned that such enforcement would end up disproportionately targeting middle- and lower-income households who can't afford tax lawyers and experts to help navigate an IRS audit. In a statement, the Treasury Department claimed that households earning less than $400,000 will likely see the chance of an audit decline. Instead, new funding will crack down on tax evaders among the wealthy and large corporations, invest in technology upgrades that help taxpayers, and hire more customer support staff to prevent backlogs. This has set off a debate about whether beefing up IRS funding is a good idea or not. In fact, we initially covered this issue in July of 2021, which you can read with a link in today's newsletter. We're going to revisit it today now that the new funding has been approved. In a moment, you're going to hear some arguments from the left and the right, and then my take. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. First up, we'll start with what the left is saying. The left argues that the IRS has been starved of funding and needs the money to update its systems and increase its workforce. Many point out the potentially huge benefits in increasing revenue and the estimates about how much more money can be raised. Some say the enforcement will yield the best returns by focusing on the rich. In the Washington Post, Catherine Rample said, if you want to know why the IRS needs $80 billion, just look at its cafeteria, which resembles a giant library of manila folders. It's part of what the IRS calls the pipeline a 1970s-era assembly line used to process tax returns at several locations around the country, she said. And it might give you a sense of why Congress is on the verge of handing the agency $80 billion through the Inflation Reduction Act, not only for more enforcement, but also for tech modernization. As of July 29th, the IRS had a backlog of 10.2 million unprocessed individual returns. Blame the pandemic, sure, but also the agency's embarrassingly outdated paper-based system, which leaves stacks and stacks of returns cluttering shelves, hallways, and even the cafeteria. On the pipeline, paper tax returns aren't scanned into computers. Instead, IRS employees manually keystroke the numbers from each document into the system digit by digit. Taxpayers are trapped in this time warp because Congress has systematically underinvested in the IRS, she said. Its funding was cut for most of the past decade, despite the agency receiving ever more responsibilities. Stimulus checks, child tax credit payments, Obamacare enforcement, foreign bank account tracking, and lately hunting down Russian yachts. Without reliable long-term funding guarantees, the IRS has struggled to upgrade its systems. 
Treasury and IRS officials say they hope the additional funding will allow them to automate more of this process so returns can move through more swiftly. They're not particularly worried about employees getting displaced by automation. About a third of IRS employees are already eligible for retirement. There's also more than enough work to go around. See that 10.2 million return backlog. In April, the Washington Post editorial board said the IRS urgently needs more money and staff. The IRS is currently limping along without enough staff for funding. Congress, especially Republicans, needs to face up to reality, the board said. The IRS still manually enters the information on paper tax returns into its computing system because its technology is so outdated. There's a massive backlog of more than 7 million unprocessed individual tax returns from last year, largely because the IRS doesn't have enough staff and resources. Getting anyone at the IRS to answer the phone is practically miraculous. These delays have caused serious hardships for families waiting for thousands of dollars in refunds or trying to apply for loans but not having last year's tax returns available. It's not a mystery how the IRS deteriorated. While the pandemic certainly caused additional strain on the agency, the core problem is that Republicans slashed the IRS budget about 18% in the past decade, the board said. That's not belt tightening. It's gutting an agency. It's no wonder staffing declined 20% and the IRS now has the fewest auditors since 1953. Having a fully functioning tax collection agency is fundamental to American democracy and the economy. Taxes are the main funding source for everything, from the U.S. military to Medicare and Social Security. Individual income taxes alone make up half of federal revenue. Fixing the IRS should be as urgent, if not more, than rebuilding crumbling roads and bridges. In the Los Angeles Times, Michael Hiltzik said the IRS funding will be a victory against wealthy tax cheats. The conclusion has also come from economists at the IRS, Carnegie Mellon University, and UC Berkeley, who showed last year that America's tax cheats-in-chief are the 1%, who consistently concealed as much as 21% of their income from tax collectors, he said. Of the unreported income, about 6 percentage points is hidden by sophisticated evasion that goes undetected in random audits, their paper said. The Washington Examiner's Byron York and his conservative fellows have been attacking the IRS funding by suggesting the army of some 80,000 new agents and other employees will turn their firepower on middle and upper middle class Americans and small businesses, not on the wealthy. But that's just scaremongering. Each budget cut, whether measured in real or inflation-adjusted dollars, hamstrung the agency's ability to do its job. Taxpayer services shrank and callers with even ordinary questions were placed on hours-long holds if they could get through at all, Hiltzik said. This lowered the agency's public reputation to a subterranean level. Who benefit? The rich, that's who. Audits of the wealthy became an endangered species. In 2010, the audit rate of personal tax returns reporting income of $10 million or more was 21.2%. By 2019, the Government Accountability Office reported it had fallen to 3.9%. This in a period when the number of those returns nearly doubled, rising from 13,000 to 24,000. The low watermark may have been reached in 2019 when the IRS received more than 23,450 tax returns from households reporting $10 million or more in income for 2018. It audited seven. That's not a misprint. That is it for what the left is saying, which brings us to the right's take. The right warns that the beefed-up funding will end up targeting middle-class Americans. Some call out how the same bill that beefs up enforcement increases tax credits and shortcuts, which makes the system more complicated. Many argue that the IRS will have to target lower-income tax brackets in order to raise the revenue it says it will. 
In the Washington Examiner, Byron York wrote about the 86,852 new IRS employees. The number seems too big to believe. The IRS has just 93,654 employees, according to the Office of Personnel Management. Why would Congress, in one bill, increase the IRS workforce by something like 92%? It doesn't seem possible. It certainly doesn't seem wise. It's not wise, but it is possible. And that is what 50 Senate Democrats, along with tie-breaking Vice President Kamala Harris, did when they passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which gives roughly $80 billion to the IRS between now and 2031, he said. It's fair to say that Democrats are always searching for ways to wring more cash out of taxpayers. The obvious way to do that is to raise taxes, but the largest number of tax collections is in the vast middle of the income scale. To raise taxes on the middle class is politically unpopular. So, Democrats pledged to raise taxes on the rich and rich corporations. The other way Democrats have sought to raise more taxpayer dollars is by beefing up the IRS. The idea is that Americans are evading all sorts of taxes, creating a tax gap, according to the Treasury Department, the difference between taxes owed to the government and actually paid. The Biden administration says tax cheats are primarily high income, York wrote. The problem is what the problem always is. The big money is in the big middle class. Workers who make more than $400,000, that includes people right at that number up to super billionaires, are only about 1.8% of all taxpayers, even though they account for about 25% of the nation's income. The other 98.2%, making up about 75% of the nation's income, is a lot bigger. And indeed, that's where much of the current IRS enforcement is focused. The same will likely be true of the new muscled-up IRS. The Wall Street Journal editorial board said the IRS is about to go beast mode. Democrats claim this investment will yield more than $200 billion in revenue. That estimate is highly speculative, but if it's anywhere close to right, IRS auditors will soon be coming after tens of millions of Americans. The $80 billion is more than six times the current annual IRS budget of $12.6 billion. The money will be ladled out over nine years and comes with few strings attached. The main Democratic command is for the tax agency to bring the hammer down on taxpayers, the board said. The bill earmarks $45.6 billion for enforcement, including litigation, criminal investigations, investigative technology, digital asset monitoring, and a new fleet of tax collector cars. The result will be far more audits, civil suits, and criminal referrals. The main targets will by necessity be the middle and upper middle class because that's where the money is, the board said. The Joint Committee on Taxation, Congress's official tax scorekeeper, says that from 78 to 90% of the money raised from underreported income would likely come from those making less than $200,000 a year. Only 4 to 9% would come from those making more than $500,000. The IRS knows the super wealthy employs lawyers and accountants who make litigation time-consuming and risky. It also knows that Democrats would howl if the agency pursues fraud in the Earned Income Tax Credit Program, despite what the IRS has estimated are $18 billion in improper payments each year. In Cato, Chris Edwards wrote about the IRS funding hypocrisy. It's nearly impossible for taxpayers to contact the IRS for timely answers to filing questions, but the Senate bill devotes just $3.2 billion of the new spending to, quote, taxpayer services. The lion's share, $46 billion, goes towards jacking up IRS enforcement, Edwards said. The thrust of the bill is against the people, not for the people, to understand the code and voluntarily comply. Senators supporting the bill talk about tax cheats and closing tax loopholes, but this is huge hypocrisy. The Senate bill itself creates new loopholes and tax breaks, and complicated breaks drive noncompliance with the tax system. 
the Senate bill would expand a slew of special interest credits and other breaks within a $370 billion orgy of green subsidies and corporate welfare. All these clean breaks will make the tax code a mess. IRS administration will be more difficult, and aggressive taxpayers will have more margins to twist the code into gray areas, Edwards said. Battles between taxpayers and the IRS will grow. Law and accounting firms specializing in green breaks will prosper. Senate bill supporters don't seem worried about growing tax code complexity. They assume the bill makes sense because the $80 billion of IRS funding is supposed to raise $204 billion in government revenues. But that ignores the added costs and loss of civil liberties imposed on individuals and businesses. More aggressive IRS enforcement will mean more paperwork, more lawyer fees, more time wasted on tax planning, more anguish and uncertainty, less privacy, and less personal financial security. Government will win, but society will lose. That is it for what the left and the right are saying, which brings us to my take. So when we covered this a year ago, I wrote about my emotional response versus my analytical one. My emotional response then and now is that beefing up an agency like the IRS is kind of a terrible idea. And the last thing I want is some well-funded arm of bureaucrats coming from middle-class Americans who can't afford to defend themselves while the rich and corporations continue to skirt tax laws left and right. The GOP talking point here resonates deeply. Who wants 87,000 more IRS employees to make the experience of filing taxes even more miserable or just to audit a lot more people, especially when it's likely they'll focus on income earners who yield the highest return for the lowest dedicated resources, which is most of us. The analytical response is a little different. I was particularly moved by Catherine Rample's piece, which includes photos of what the inside of the IRS looks like. Just imagine being transported back to a 1970s office. Forget who will end up forking over more cash for a minute. The absurdity of such an important government agency living in a five-decades-old technological era is baffling. At the very least, the IRS needs a lot more money to modernize and enter the 21st century. I've also been moved by my experience over the last year as a newly minted small business owner. Earlier this year, I got a letter from the IRS about my 2020 taxes about a year and a half after they were filed and a claim that I owed close to $6,000 of unpaid additional taxes. The upshot of what happened was that the IRS was counting revenue I never received because Stripe, my payment processor for Tangle, takes a cut before the money gets paid out to me. Thankfully, I have two friends who helped me do my taxes, and with their free services, I was able to explain the discrepancy away to the IRS over a months-long back-and-forth document fax fest. But it wasn't easy, and it made it clear to me just how archaic the system is. I'm still struggling about where I land here, but I do think a general position is starting to form for me. It goes a little something like this. Tax codes are the law. Some people violate them accidentally because they are complicated, while others intentionally cheat them to save money. This lends itself nicely to the Republican talking point that tax code simply needs to be simplified, and that the one easy way to make all of this easier would be to untangle the mess that our tax system is. At the same time, one of the underpinnings of the Republican talking point here that bothers me is the idea that these laws are, or should be, flexible simply because they are taxes and some people make mistakes. The fact that there are people out there not paying what they really owe in taxes seems less important to the right than the fear of the government forcing people to pay what they owe in taxes. In a weird way, the conversation is making victims out of people who are skirting the laws many Americans simply follow, whether intentionally or not. And trust me, I get the frustration. I do my best to understand every tax rule there is so that I can legally write off appropriate expenses and bring down my overall tax bill. 
but I also go through the enormous and arduous work of trying to pay my taxes correctly and legally. It's a little frustrating to see the argument develop that everyone else doesn't have to do that on account of having a screw-the-government attitude. It seems obvious to me that beefing up the IRS with billions of dollars to modernize the system and make it so you don't have to wait months to talk to an IRS employee is a no-brainer. This would both benefit a lot of Americans who want to get money the IRS owes them back in a more timely fashion and allow people to address errors in their filing more easily so they don't get audited. The state of the IRS right now is truly unacceptable. They do need more funding. They do need modern computer systems. They do need more employees. And they need a total functionality makeover. I'm supportive of this. The enforcement element is a bit trickier. The most emotionally compelling argument against it, in my opinion, is that the infusion of funding will ramp up enforcement on middle-class Americans. As it stands today, the IRS audits people making less than $25,000 and more than $500,000 at the highest rates. Given that only seven households of the 23,450 reporting $10 million or more were audited in 2018, I think we can all agree some increased enforcement at the very top is warranted. Yet, in the interest of fairness, there is really only one good outcome here, which is for the beefed-up enforcement funding to make rates more equal across all income levels. That means the 20% of people on the earned income credit get some extra scrutiny, it means small middle-class business owners get some extra scrutiny, and it means the super-wealthy individuals and corporations get a lot of extra scrutiny since they're being audited at the lowest rates now. The goal for the IRS should be to have equal rates of auditing through all income brackets, with more resources going toward the audits that target the wealthy and corporations, since those resources are necessary to get actual returns. For conservatives, I think the framing here could be very Republican-esque. It's the rule of law. We all have to pay taxes, and we should all follow the same rules and pay what we owe. Right now, there aren't enough cops to enforce the law, and they're fighting with 50-year-old tools. Let's grow the force and update the systems. For Democrats, the framing here is about executing the promise of the Inflation Reduction Act. This beefed-up enforcement is part of closing the tax gap and raising revenue. In order to do that and to bring in the revenue to pay for their bill, the IRS is going to have to beef up enforcement on the middle and upper middle class, not just on the super wealthy. All right, that is it for my take, which brings us to your questions answered. This one is from Cindy in St. Louis, Missouri. She said, what was Adam Schiff's big lie? My husband has decided that Mr. Schiff has been lying all along and believes he should be prosecuted for abuse of power. You mentioned that he edited a video for the January 6th committee in order to make Trump look bad. What else has Schiff done? How do his lies compare to those of others in power? So Adam Schiff is definitely in a category of politicians whose word I don't trust. I think the most famous Schiff fib was the claim in 2016 that Congress had uncovered a criminal conspiracy by Trump's 2016 campaign and that he was in possession of a, quote, smoking gun piece of evidence. Schiff never produced any such smoking gun. When he was pressed on this by Meghan McCain, he insisted the smoking gun was in plain sight, which, as National Review's David Arsanyi put it, was, quote, the opposite of his claim that he had uncovered a seditious and clandestine conspiracy. The Wall Street Journal editorial board also ran a damning column on what Schiff knew and what he concealed about the investigation into Trump. Schiff also lied in 2019 when he claimed he had not spoken to Alexander Vindman, the whistleblower who helped set off the Trump impeachment. I think, on the whole, the biggest thing about Schiff is that he loves to be on television, and he seems to spend more time on cable news than he does at work. Throughout those appearances, he has made a lot of bold claims, specifically about Trump, that simply haven't panned out. 
He was also one of the top purveyors of the Steele dossier, for instance, and then took no responsibility when the contents of that dossier were undermined and discredited. Given Schiff's enormous power as the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, his actions have made him one of the top public enemies of Trump and many conservatives. A few have even called for him to be investigated. All right, next up is our story that matters for the day. Pew Research Center surveyed teenagers from across America between the ages of 13 and 17 years old. They found that use of Facebook and Twitter is plummeting among teens, while YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram are the most popular social media platforms. 95% of all teens say they use YouTube, while 67% said they use TikTok and 62% said they use Instagram. 16% of teens say they use TikTok almost constantly, and about 19% said they use YouTube almost constantly. 55% of teens said they spend about the right amount of time on these platforms, while 36% said they spend too much time, and just 8% said they don't spend enough time on them. The research paints the picture of an ever-changing social media landscape. Pew has the research, and there's a link to it in today's newsletter. All right, next up is our numbers section. The average price of a gallon of gasoline in the U.S. as of today, Thursday, August 11th, is $3.99. The average price when gas was at its peak in June, $5.02. The number of times President Trump reportedly invoked the Fifth Amendment during his deposition with New York's Attorney General yesterday was 440. The percentage of Americans who say they rarely or never wear a mask indoors when around people outside their household is now 54%. That's a double the number from January. The audit rate for Americans making more than $5 million in 2010 was 16%. The audit rate for those Americans in 2019 was 2%. The average annual tax gap, the amount of unpaid taxes between 2011 and 2013, was $441 billion. All right, and last but not least, our Have a Nice Day story. This one is about a Michigan man who's becoming an internet sensation in more ways than one after building his own custom internet service provider network. Now he's getting some government help. Jared Motch built a fiber-to-home internet connection and became a provider because he couldn't get broadband from AT&T and Comcast in his rural Michigan neighborhood. He started out by providing internet to 30 homes with his own ISP, which he named Washtenaw Fiber Properties, LLC. Now, with the help of $2.6 million in government infrastructure money, Motch is expanding to more than 600 properties. The government allocated his county some $71 million in funding for infrastructure projects, and Motch successfully applied for funding to expand his broadband ISP project. Ars Technica has the story, and there's a link to it in today's newsletter. All right, that is it for the podcast, as always, and especially on Thursdays. A reminder, if you want to hear from us tomorrow, you need to subscribe. Retangle.com slash membership. We'll see you right back here, same time on Monday. Peace. Our newsletter is written by Isaac Saul, edited by Bailey Saul, Sean Brady, Ari Weitzman, and produced in conjunction with Tangle's social media manager, Magdalena Bakova, who also helped create our logo. The podcast is edited by Trevor Eichhorn, and music for the podcast was produced by Diet75. For more from Tangle, subscribe to our newsletter or check out our content archives at www.readtangle.com. Mm-hmm.